Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, Joining us for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Shane, great to be with you as always. I know a lot is going on within our own borders and overseas, so looking forward to catching up and hearing your insights. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be back with you. Hope everyone's doing well. So, Shane, as a starting point, I know there has been a lot of attention paid to and uh, perhaps controversy surrounding House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Asia. I know it's a packed agenda. We'll get into that in a few moments. And a part of the controversy involves her trip to Taiwan. I understand that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is currently in Taiwan. So can you fill us in a bit, Shane, on the purpose of this tour, what the agenda consists of, and what we've been hearing in the way of controversy? surrounding it. Yeah, no. At first, I think it's right to describe this as a tour because while the attention is going on to uh, Speaker Pelosi's time in uh, Taiwan, uh, she's also going to other countries, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, South Korea, and Japan. Um, And interestingly enough, you know, when they set out this uh, uh, tour, uh, you know, Taiwan was not on the schedule, and that was done for security reasons. But obviously, you know, it wasn't um, uh, the, the the closest held secret. You know, we've been hearing about this for days uh, coming up. And so, you know, uh, throughout the, the tour, uh, a lot of issues will be covered, COVID-19 and pandem- the pandemic and, and health in general, climate uh uh, challenges, but of course, you know, going to this region, going to the neighbors of China, there'll obviously be a, um, a good discussion about, you know, um, remaining allies with these countries and, you know, kind of pushing back against China to some degree. Um, you know, I think uh, this is not unusual for the speaker or members of Congress. Because remember, it's not just her on this trip. There are several other members of Congress with her um, to go to the region. What is a little unusual is the trip to Taiwan. I think the last time the Speaker of the House went was uh, about 25 years ago by Newt Gingrich. So China is um, very upset about this and is, um, you know, letting this be known to uh, not only, you know, uh, um, the media, but President Biden himself. It's interesting, Shane, because this particular tour, it does come following a key call last week between President Biden as well as Chinese Premier Xi Jinping. And of course, tensions are high at the moment, considering what has transpired in the past few hours, though. What are some takeaways, Shane, from the conversation last week? And how would you characterize U.S.-China relations at the moment? Yeah, no, I think this is a noteworthy to discuss this call because this is only the fifth time that President Biden and President Xi have spoken since President Biden came into office. Um, And this conversation uh, lasted almost two and a half hours. So it was a very full um, conversation and, you know, really hit the gamut. Not only some of the issues I just mentioned, you know, uh, COVID relief, health care, but, you know, uh, President Biden's administration kind of broke down the call into really three areas. You know, first would be you know, areas of kind of uh, where both U.S. and China can work together, 
you know, things like uh, trade, um, healthcare, et cetera. So second would be, you know, a little bit more controversial, but um, Russia's uh, invasion into Ukraine and, and how that permeates uh, wider security, whether that be um, not only military security, but food security. Um, so, you know, that was a topic of discussion. And then, of course, number three is, was this, um, good, uh, the, this lengthy conversation about, um, um, P- Speaker Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. Uh, President Biden reiterated that the U.S. Um, stands behind the one China policy established decades ago. Um, but, you know, as I was mentioning, you know, President Xi expressed, uh, their dissatisfaction. I think, you know, not uh, fully discussed in this call was how w- will um, China react. They're probably going to take some measures um, to show their displeasure with Speaker Pelosi's trip uh, to Taiwan. You know, I would expect there will be cyber attacks. In fact, there are already reports of cyber attacks on the, the Ty- Taiwanese president office. Um, you're seeing the Chinese military um, have uh, naval ships build up around Taiwan. Uh, they're flying aircraft, you know, very close to kind of the line uh, that that divides uh, China and Taiwan over the sea, kind of that buffer zone, if you will. Um, and I, I have to assume there'll be more to come uh, to try and uh, express that. I think the one thing that we've got to keep in mind, though, is that, you know, generally speaking, both sides try to be cautious of not going too far to to, to provoke the other side, and you know, hopefully that will be the case. But obviously, any reaction is is concerning, and I think we're seeing that actually reflected in the market today. Shane, thank you for those takeaways and reflections. And if we do stick with geopolitics, a lot going on, as is often the case. You brought up Russia a few moments ago, and the Russia-Ukraine war is still ongoing. And we heard from Russian President Vladimir Putin recently. He came out, declared the U.S. as the nation's top threat. Uh, which was eye-opening. So what's the significance of this declaration, Shane, in the post-Cold War era? And has there been any response from that declaration from the Biden administration? Yeah, no, this was interesting. You know, uh, I think, you know, Russia in the world view is responsible for this invasion, obviously. And I think this is Russia also trying to shift the blame and say, you know, we were provoked into attacking Ukraine, which, I mean, to an extent is preposterous. You know, um, that to blame the U.S. for Russia's invasion into Ukraine. It's not like, you know, we had military assets in Ukraine that, you know, somehow provoked this. So, you know, I think this is, you know, kind of to, to your, your point, going back to Cold War sentiments. And, you know, I think Russia is really trying to hunker down um, as they start to even feel the impacts of sanctions. Um, uh, even further and their economy, you know, starting to, um, um, you know, really trip up. So, you know, I, I, I think President Biden has actually reached out and offered to, uh, start new talks on a new nuclear arms treaty. The current arms treaty in place expires in February of 2026. So this is a little bit of a head start. Um, you know, Russia kind of scoffed at this and, you know, uh, essentially, you know, pushing back and saying, you know, this is not the right time for that. And but also saying that, you know, 
things are worse now than they were during the Cold War, which is somewhat of a, a bold statement by Russia. So I think you're seeing uh, Russia push back, but at the same time, you're seeing a little bit of give and take where President Biden has offered a prisoner exchange um, for uh, two of Americans in Russian prison, most notably Brittany Griner, the WNBA star. Um, Russia has countered uh, wanting more in such uh, an exchange than the one prisoner they were offered. Um, so this, this, you know, that is healthy in an extent that they're showing, you know, uh, some lines of communication. Uh, I'm not going to try and tell you that this is a very healthy line of communication, but you know, this is uh, these tensions uh, not only with Russia and China, uh, but are, are high. And you know, uh, we have to be realistic with ourselves that it's not going to be smoothed over. Uh, over the course of the next uh, few days. Well, we always hope that diplomacy prevails, though, to your point, Shane, high tensions in many parts of the world at the moment, a lot here on the geopolitical front, we can pay close attention to and follow up on in future segments. I want to come back maybe stateside for a moment. I know Washington is buzzing at the moment ahead of the summer recess where members of Congress head back home, spend time with their families, and maybe focus on campaigning a bit. But at the moment, Senate Democrats are moving Moving forward with a substantial climate and spending package, and this is following talks involving uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, as well as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York. Can you provide some color, Shane, as to what this bill consists of, perhaps the price tag attached, and what are the next steps from here? Yeah, I think uh, most people I know in D.C. are suffering from whiplash, um, you know, just over just over a week ago, we were headed towards um, what we all expected of a limited deal dealing with prescription drug reforms, um, and then uh, about a week ago, we saw that this deal announced between Senator Manchin and Schumer. Uh, this would include about seven hundred forty billion dollars in in revenue raisers. The biggest uh, portion of that would come from this new fifteen percent cor- corporate minimum tax. Um, then there would be these pre- prescription drug reforms, uh, and IRS tax enforcement, uh, would raise about $124 billion. This is a nice, uh, polite way of saying, uh, more audits are coming. Um, and these audits would likely be targeted, uh, on those Americans making $400,000 or more. Um, and finally, there would be, uh, the carried interest loophole would be closed. Um, this would fund uh, two things, really. One, um, investment in uh, climate change initiatives uh, and uh, propping up uh, some of the affordable care subsidies. And then actually a third, you could say, would be um, a couple hundred billion dollars to pay down uh, the deficit and debt. Um, you know, so where is this heading is uh, likely just to passage. You know, I think maybe the bill can change a little bit, but... What we're really waiting for is Senator Sinema of Arizona to, to weigh in. Uh, she's been silent, actually, since this deal has been announced. She's been, you know, kind of hunkering down, reviewing the bill in detail. Um, what a novel idea for uh, an elected official to, to sit down, take their time, read the bill, and figure out uh, the impacts of it. And, you know, I think we'll, we'll hear more from her in the days to come. In the meantime... Uh, the Senate parliamentarian is scrubbing this bill to make sure it fits all the rules and parameters of this unique reconciliation package. Um, I think in best case scenario, you know, the Senate uh, votes on this 
um, Friday, but probably into the weekend and maybe even early next week. And then the House will probably come back into session next week uh, and vote on it. And then President Biden uh, theoretically would sign it into law, you know, late next week or early in the third week of August. So, you know, the train is moving. It's not a foregone conclusion that this will pass into law, uh, but we do expect a, a, a higher probability, you know, over 50 percent chance that some version of it will be passed into law in the coming weeks. I'm sure many are anxiously awaiting Senator Cinema's stance on this, any indication of that in the days to come. So thank you, Shane, for some color there. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the coming days. Uh, before we close out, maybe one more item. Let's maybe stick with legislation. There has been a lot of buzz recently surrounding uh, the PACT Act, P-A-C-T Act, with even the Biden administration urging passage through Congress. I believe we've been hearing recently from the Interior Secretary. Can you bring us up to speed on what's going on there? Yeah, this bill is about providing uh, health care to veterans exposed to toxic burn pits. Um, you know, and this is an issue near and dear to President Biden's um, heart. You know, he, he, remember his son, who was in the uh, military, died of uh, of uh, brain cancer, or brain tumors, and you know, um, you know, he believes that toxic burn pits probably played a part in that. And you know, we've seen other veterans. Uh, get sick from these toxic burn pits. So this would be um, a law uh, to uh, help provide health care for those veterans. It's generally very bipartisan, um, but we've seen kind of a hiccup. And in these divisive times, this is what happens um, often. You know, uh, Senate, Republican senators have, you know, pumped the brakes here and said, you know, hey, we want to pass a bill, but we're very concerned about how this bill uh, works about how the spending happens and that it actually spends way too much and we're actually throwing money uh, out the window while not actually providing the health care that these veterans need. Uh, they have concerns that, you know, the VA wouldn't be able to actually meet all the obligations and try to pass an amendment that would allow veterans to go to you know, other doctors outside the VA system to um, receive the care that they would need in this scenario. Um, this has thrown um, a wrench in in the works. Um, you know, I think uh, as as we all care about our veterans, I'm trying to be optimistic and say they'll come to a, a, um, a consensus in the coming weeks and get this resolved. Um, but this remains all in limbo, not only because of you know, they're, they need to really sit down and hammer out the details of this. But with everything else going on, uh, there's probably going to be some hard feelings because of this uh, budget reconciliation bill we just passed and other issues that are, you know, fueling the discord in Congress. So, um, you know, I'm hopeful that they'll uh, come together and, and finally reach an agreement here. But, you know, as anything these days in D.C., there's, there's no guarantee that would be the case. Well, Shane, as you pointed out, of course, very important that we support our veterans. So hopefully some form of resolution can be achieved, bipartisan resolution, uh, in the coming days or weeks. Though, Shane, thank you very much for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, great catching up, as always. A lot here we can follow up on. I believe we're going to take a bit of a summer hiatus to coincide with the congressional recess. But enjoy the balance of your summer, Shane, and looking forward to catching up again with you in a few weeks uh, leading up to election day in november looking forward to it dan hope you uh enjoy baseball as i will maybe some golf too 
and I look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. The MLB season is getting very exciting, especially for our team. So be well, Shane. We'll speak soon. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our listeners and clients, be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can be found on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 